Amen. Man, we're so glad that you're with us here today. Um, the week before we celebrate Christmas, which is pretty exciting. My name is Rob. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, one of the pastors here on staff. And I get to lead our young adults ministry, which is pretty exciting. And uh, today I get to share with you about Christmas, which is pretty appropriate because it's coming up soon. It's coming up soon. Hey, last uh, Thanksgiving in 2020, um, my wife and uh, my little uh, baby, Eleanor, who was three months old at the time, uh, they got to go, we were going to spend Thanksgiving with her family in Indiana. And so I decided to, and we decided that Kyla was going to spend uh, maybe an extra week there beforehand just to have some more time with her family, with our new baby. So we put her on a plane and sent her and, and our little baby uh, to Indiana. And then I was going to meet them there uh, a week later. But a couple days before, um, I was supposed to get on a plane and had to go be with them for our first uh, Thanksgiving together as a family of three. Her family came down with COVID. And then eventually, Kyla came down with COVID. And then our three-month-old baby came down with COVID. And it was just, it was the worst. And I, it was, so they had immediately, they had a quarantine for, for two weeks. And that also meant that I could not be with my wife and my new baby on this, in this first holiday season that we're going to spend together as a family of three. And it was really sad and disappointing. And all I could do was FaceTime them and watch their agony from a, from a phone screen. And I could, I could communicate with them, but I just so badly wanted to be with them. But there is good news. Uh, I'm just like uh, Michael Scott from The Office, I'm kind of a whiz at Photoshop. And so I was able to salvage a family photo of our first Thanksgiving, and I have it right here. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is our first family photo as a family of three. Um, pay no attention to proportions or size. Also, don't look at her legs. Just don't look at her legs. I think that's an effect of COVID. We don't know. We don't know. All in all, Kyla and the baby were gone for three weeks and two days. And why is this significant? Like, why am I telling you the story? And why, when I told you the story, was there kind of like a, oh, like a disappointment, you know? Why is it like that we feel that way, even though I was able to communicate with them, you know, there, there was communication between Kyla and myself. I got to FaceTime them. I got to text them. I got to talk to them. But why is it that even though we have this technology to do this, that I still felt like I missed out on something with them? Why, do you, why is it that you feel a loss whenever you're not able to be with the people that you love? Why, why is it that you feel like you maybe get like this anxiety or like this a little bit anger of like when you miss out on like being with that person that you haven't seen in a long time or a family member you haven't been with in a long time? You know, I, I believe that these emotions and desires that we all have actually illustrate something to us about our hard wiring. And we are a people who are in just deep longing for embodied presence. We are people who have like this deep longing to be with and around people that we love and care for. And COVID has been this great like sociological test that everybody has been in. Do you remember the first COVID elbow bump that you gave at church? Do you remember the first time someone stopped short of you 
And instead of like embracing you or dapping you up or whatever it is, they waved at you from a distance. Do you remember how weird that felt? Even my introverted friends have told me how weird this is for them. And some of them may have liked it for a second, but then they're like, this is, I can't wait to see people. Even my, my, my non-hugger people are like, I would love a hug. I would love to give people a hug right now. And in this very long season of Zoom meetings and, and socially distanced and, and remotely working and, and people, you know, just not in our vicinity like they used to be, people have come face to face with this idea that there is no substitute for embodied presence. There is no substitute for being with people. And we're six days away from Christmas. So what does this have to do with the birth of Jesus? And my answer to that question is everything. This has everything to do with God coming to earth as a human baby. And today we're going to read about the the Christmas story in the book of Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And it says this in Matthew 1.18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. And so he resolved to divorce her quietly. In verse 18, it says that, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And, and, and a Jewish betrothal was very different than our modern day engagements today. You see, you can be engaged and then decide to break off the engagement with no legal uh, responsibilities or anything like that. The legal power of a union like that comes from our marriage today, but that was not so in ancient in Jewish culture. The betrothal was as if you were getting married, just not yet. It, it had all the legal bindings of a marriage. It had all, and you had all of the responsibility of the marriage, yet none of the privilege of marriage. Meaning that people who are betrothed do not sleep together yet. They, they, they do not do those things. And so, um, and, and, and so the only way that you could break off a betrothal in the ancient Jewish world was to issue papers of divorce. It was a big deal. This is not like the friends that you may have who were engaged for a little bit and then got cold feet and broke it off. This was like you, this is like a public stain on you. So this is what Joseph was experiencing. Can you imagine being Joseph right now where you betrothed, like the, this woman that you love, you feel so betrayed that she is, has gone off and she is pregnant and she's given me a weird explanation as to why she is pregnant. And Joseph, he decides that he's going to put her away quietly. And, and this is, it says that Joseph in, in verse 19, that he was a just man. And because in Jewish law, technically, technically you had the ability, if you were, if you were uh, a betrothed person, if you were a married person, if the person, if your wife, if she cheated on you, you had the technical right to stone her to death. But Joseph, you can see in verse 19, he was a just man. He was a good man. And you can tell that he so loved Mary that even in the midst of just this betrayal and this emotion of like, I, 
my world is flipped upside down now. Joseph is so, such a good man that he is resolved to protect this woman that he loves, that he feels so betrayed by. And instead of making a big deal about this, he decides to put her away quietly. And so Joseph divorces her. I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. Um, because I, and the thing is, you probably know that to be true because you've seen a nativity scene probably. And you know that Joseph is standing right there next to Mary and the baby. So how did we get from the betrayal and like the what in the world is going on to him in the nativity scene that we've been celebrating for 2,000 years? What would it take for Joseph to decide to, I'm going to go through with this, uh, this marriage uh, that says you're, you're pregnant with God's baby? That doesn't make sense to me. What would it take? What would it take for you? to change your mind from going from, I'm going to totally divorce this woman who's probably crazy to, okay, I'm going with it and I'm going to, I'm going to be there. And this is the, what happens. And the reason that it would take for you to do this is what is found in verse 20. And it says this, as Joseph considered these things, as he was considering to divorce her, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says and remembers, and he writes down, he goes, all this took place. And he remembers back to the the prophets of old, 700 years before in Isaiah, where he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes him and he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. This was not, uh, this this was prophesied before, one of the 300 prophecies of, of Jesus. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And he says, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. What did it take for Joseph to get on board with what was going on? It took an encounter with an angel to tell him who this baby actually was. He told him who this baby was actually going to do and what he was here for. And today, I want to focus on the two names that Matthew ascribes to Jesus in this story. Two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. You know, Emmanuel is, is, is originally a Hebrew word, but Matthew is writing in Greek, and so Matthew makes sure, he wants to make sure everybody understands this word that he's about to say, and so he, he, sa- he writes it in Greek, but he translates it so everybody in the audience knows exactly what he's talking about. He's saying that this baby that is to be born from this virgin that is your, that is your betrothed is actually God with us. He's God with us, and I have three points for you today. Three things that that you need to know about this baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And my hope for today is that you don't just hear about this again. My hope today is that you actually experience who this baby turned out 
to be and who he actually is. And my first point of who this baby actually is is based on this first name, Emmanuel, which is God with us. And my first point is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Why is it important that Jesus is God? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we long for leaders who have our best interests in mind to be in positions of authority to actually impact us, right? Like that's why people put so much stock in politicians and politics because a politician says, hey, I love this group of people and I, I am going to be for this group of people and this group of people is going to motivate everything that I do and if this group of people will elect me, then I'm going to be put in a position of power and authority and a place so that I can impact these people. And listen, it's not enough to just have a love for a group of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's great that somebody loves you, but if they're not in a position of power and authority so that they can impact you, then it really makes not a lot of difference. And, you know, I think one of the ways that helps me understand this is that um, I have a dog, and my dog loves me like a ton. My dog, Junie, she's awesome. Like Junie, get this, she like waits at the door for me to come in. And like when I open the garage door and she sees like that she hears me coming, she's like scratching at the door. She cannot wait. And as soon as I get in, she jumps on me. She's so excited. And I'm saying that it's a loving thing and not like a poor parenting thing on my part that I didn't teach her not how to jump on people. Um, But that's the whole idea. And Junie will like walk around with me. If I pace around the house, she'll walk around and pace with me. She loves me so much. But listen, if I, if, like, when I go home for the holidays and I'm in the uh, LAX airport and I go to the American Airlines first class lounge and I walk over to them and I say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and hang out here because my dog Junie loves me. She said it's probably cool if I hang out here. They're going to look at me and be like, that makes no difference. She makes no difference to us in our, in our operation here. But it would make a difference if the owner and operator and president of American Airlines said, hey, I know this guy, Rob. I love this guy, Rob. He can be here. That's fine. That would be okay, and I'd be able to get in there. Why? Because this man not only is for me and likes me, but he has the power and authority to let me into the place that I want to be in and the place that I need to be in. And listen to this, everybody. Jesus, he loves you. And listen, Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He is not a great teacher. He is not just a morally great guy. Jesus is actually God. And God is the creator of the universe, and he holds everything together. He is so perfect and righteous and holy, and he loves you. This is a big deal. If Jesus was just a normal person, a great guy who we would look at and be like, that was a great dude, it would be fine that he loved us, but it wouldn't change very much about us right now. But the fact is that Jesus is God, and God loves you, and God is for you. And the implications are amazing. They're astounding. The God who is in control of everything, the God who is in control of all of the universe, he is for you. And he longs to be with you. And if God loves you, then you don't have to fear the future because he holds all the future together. If God loves you and is for you, then you can actually be secure and rest in his power for you. And listen to this. If Jesus is God, then there is no middle ground. 
There is no, there is no, you, you, gotta, you gotta take a side. Either you believe his claim of divinity or you don't. C.S. Lewis said that there are really only three conclusions that you can come to about Jesus and the claims that he made about himself and the things that he actually did. He said that he's either, Jesus is either a liar, meaning that he knows he's not God, he's just a malicious person and he's trying to trick people. He's either a liar or he's a lunatic where he actually does believe he's God, like a person in a crazy asylum. You know, one of my buddies, uh, his, their dad was um, a police officer. And uh, one, they love to tell this story all, this, this, all the time. Uh, one day, he was like around this guy who was causing a lot of trouble. This guy was hopped up on drugs. And he, my friend's dad came up onto him and he was like, hey, what's your name, man? He goes, Jesus Christ, boom, and punches my friend's dad right in the face. And so we always say, hey, remember that one time Jesus punched your dad in the face? <laughs> Listen, that guy is a lunatic. Like they're, they're, he's, he believes he may be this thing, but we can all attest Jesus would not punch you in the face. So he's either a liar, he is a lunatic, or the third conclusion that C.S. Lewis comes to, the only logical thing that he can be if he's not one of those two things is that he has to be Lord. He actually is who he says he is. There is no middle ground. And in the Gospels, you can actually see these different responses of people. You can see the different responses of people. There, there are the three, three things they did. They either, when Jesus would preach about himself and declared who he was, people hated him for it. That's one of the responses. Or they either ran away in fear because they didn't want to deal with the implications of who Jesus was. Or the third thing is they fell before him and worshiped him. These are the responses to Jesus And Jesus, if he is who he says he is, and Jesus many times throughout the gospel actually said that he was God, but even before he had an opportunity to speak as an adult human being, before he was even, uh, before he was, uh, you know, the incarnation happened, 700 years before that, his name actually that was going to be given to him illustrated who exactly he was. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. So one of my questions for you today is, do you believe that Jesus is actually God? Do you believe that he was who he said he was? And if so, if you do believe that, how has it changed the way you think and act? How has it changed the way you live your life? How has it changed uh, what you do? How has, has Jesus, the fact of Jesus being God, has it impacted you in any other way? Have you given everything over to him as God who is able to hold and manage and, ca- and carry everything that you have? Are you still living in fear as if the God of the universe who controls everything, who holds everything together, isn't for you? Are you secure in the power of a God who is not so far off that we cannot get to him, but a God who is close to us? We need to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is God. He's God. But here's the other thing about God. God, he is so perfect and righteous and holy. And, and there's, there's, sin cannot be in his presence or come into a presence because if sin were to come into his holy, righteous God, it would compromise his character. And God cannot be who he is not. He is always going to be holy and righteous and no matter what. And so the problem with that 
is that we are sinful over here and God is holy and righteous over here. So we cannot be together and that is the problem that we live in. So the other part of this name, Emmanuel, that Matthew reads and gives to this baby says what the plan of God for us. He says he is not only God, he is God with us. Every other religion um, ultimately says our founder was a great teacher and morality and goodness is enough. That if you do enough good and if you are just a good enough person that you will get to God and it will be fine. Then Christianity comes along and says you actually cannot be good enough. Like God is so over here and you are so over here. And if you want to get all the way to God, like, it's like you, I know you guys, a lot, of, a lot of times people are like, if I can just do enough good, I can get over there. Like if I just don't cuss as much as I used to before, and if I keep going to church every Sunday, if I do all these good things, then maybe I could reach it. But that's like, there's no way to bridge the chasm that we had between us and God. And so God said, he's like, listen, You can't do this alone. You can't be good enough alone. So I'm going to send Emmanuel to be with you. I'm going to to make God come and put on flesh because I love you and I want to be with you, but I can't because of your sin. So I'm going to send God to be with you. And this is the story of Christmas, the story that Jesus is the embodied presence of of God, that Jesus was actually here on this earth in the flesh 2,000 years ago, and he's with us in spirit right now. And why is this important that Jesus actually was here in the flesh with us? The, the reason why this is so important, and if you ever thought about this, you know, Jesus, he, he not only fed the hungry, Jesus experienced hunger. Jesus not only healed the sick, he was susceptible, susceptible to disease. Jesus was not only someone who raised the dead, Jesus actually experienced what death is like. And if you're in here today and you feel like no one understands you and you feel like the pain that you're experiencing, like it's just, it's too much. God doesn't get it know Jesus' name, that he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And I love the way Hebrews 4.15 illustrates what this is. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced everything that you could experience. And there's something powerful that happens when you're going through someone, going through something, and someone comes alongside of you and puts their arm around you and says, "Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm here for you right now. I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but I know what it's like to be where you are. I know what it's like to experience the things that you're experiencing." And if you're in here today and you're, you're going through a lot of pain right now, know that God is with you in your pain. Jesus is with you in your pain because he's a person who's experienced pain. If you're in here today and you've experienced loss, we serve a God who is with us, who has experienced loss, who is right there with you. If you're in here and you've, you've been betrayed and you feel isolated and lonely, know that we serve a God 
who was betrayed, who has felt just the absolute loneliness that comes from taking on our sin and being separated from the Father. He's a God who is with us. That's the beauty of his name, Emmanuel. He's with us in our pain. He's with us in our dysfunction. He is not a God who is far off that we can't get to because he's come down to be with us. And he loves you. You know, there's this uh, female writer uh, by the name of Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy was, lived in the early, or late 1800s and the early 1900s. And Dorothy was uh, a very fascinating woman. She was one of the first women to go to Oxford University. Um, she was a writer of detection novels, and one of, the, one of the popular series that she wrote was this book series called the Lord Peter Whimsey series. And Lord Peter Whimsey was this uh, aristocratic detective who would go around solving crimes. And um, in the middle of the series, like, she wrote this guy, and he was a single man. And you could tell as you're reading the series that he was kind of a lonely guy. You know, he, he had a lot of, you know, there was stuff that he, that he, that they wished that he would, he would be longing for and relationships and stuff. And then in the midway point of this, of this entire book series, there's this new character that emerges and this new character's name was Harriet Vane and Harriet appears in the story and get this Harriet Vane in the story was one of the first women to go to Oxford. Harriet Vane in the story was a detective writer, or detective uh, novel writer. And Harriet Vane falls in love with Peter Whimsey. And they meet each other's needs, and they go on and solve mysteries together and have a great time. And some have speculated that Dorothy Sayers saw the world that she created And she saw Peter Whimsey and saw his pain and loneliness and isolation and she fell in love with him. And so she wrote herself into the story so that she could meet the needs that he had in the story. And friends, this is what God has done for us. God, he looked at the world that he created He saw us in our pain. He saw that by rejecting him, all the sin that happened because we have rejected God and the pain that we've ensued on ourselves and the other people, and he saw and he looked on us with compassion. And he said, this is not right. And so what God did is he wrote himself into the story, and at Christmas time, we celebrate the moment that he was introduced on the scene to us as Jesus, the God-man, who has come to save the people from their sins. This is who Jesus is, and he is with us so that we never have to be alone ever again. But it's his other name, Jesus, that explains exactly what he came to do. And his name is Jesus. And the last point I have for you today is Jesus is here to save us. In Matthew 21, it says, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save their people from their sins. There's this great quote that says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, then God would have sent us a a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, then God would have sent us an economist. 
But since our greatest need was the forgiveness of our sin, God sent us a savior. You know, when Kyla and Eleanor were in Indiana uh, reeling with COVID, um, I really wanted to be there to comfort them. And honestly, like, you know, if I was there, I probably would have gotten COVID too. But then really, all I could do in that scenario was just to try to add a little bit of comfort to what was going on. And that, you know, comfort in being with somebody is a big deal, as we talked about. But honestly, I could not do anything to impact her situation. I did not have the ability or power or knowledge or anything to help them in their disease that they had. The thing about Jesus, though, that makes him so unique and special is that not only is he God, that he is God who is, who is lofty and, um, and just huge and righteous and holy and holds all power and authority, but he is God who is with us, who is put on flesh to be with us so that we could be saved. And Jesus is here with us to do what we cannot do on ourselves. We cannot save ourselves from the sin that we have. I'm sure you've tried. How's it going? Every time I try to get out of things myself and try to deal with things myself, I just get into a deeper pit. But the thing about Jesus is his name illustrates what he has come to do. He has come to save the people from their sins. So where have you been looking to for salvation in your life? There are a lot of different things that we could look towards. Maybe you look to your career or money or satisfaction or sex or pleasure or whatever it may be that you think this will be the thing that's going to save me. Just know that after you try all those things, that after you feel the dissatisfaction of all those things trying to save you, know that the only person who was, who was created or who, who, was, who was here to come save us, he's the only thing, person that can save us. His name is Jesus. He's the only person who can bridge the gap between you and God. Because he did what he did, he lived a perfect life here to be in with us. He took on your sin and my sin on the cross, and when he died, your sin died. And when he rose again, he, he brought even more authority over sin, death, and the grave to bridge the gap between you and God. And if you think about this, you know, if God was only holy and not loving then he would have never emptied himself out to become a man to save us. But if God was only loving and not holy, then he kind of would have been like, yeah, anyone can come, whatever is fine. And that may sound okay now, but we all deep down in our heart of hearts have this deep sense of justice about us. That when we see something that is wrong or that should not happen, we have this, we, we cannot sit still. So we're like, this is not right and I think our whole world and nation has experienced things that w- when we see someone that is not right, we just can't handle it. This is not good. Someone has to pay for the sin that was committed. And that's what God does. And in the person of Jesus, he satisfies both the holiness of God and the lovingness of God. And this is what Jesus said. He comes in and he says, I want to, I want, sin has to be paid for but it has to be paid for in a way that I could still love and forgive my people. And only a God like that would have done what Jesus did so that his holiness could satisfy the justice that that is so from God. 
but so that at the same time we could be entered into the fold of God if only we accept him. His name will be Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Some people say, why can't God just like snap his fingers and just like eliminate sin from the entire world? And the truth is God could snap his fingers and eliminate sin everywhere. But the problem if he did that is that you are sinful and I am sinful. We all have this stain of sin on us. And if he snapped his fingers and eliminate sin, he would eliminate all of us. So he did the only thing that could satisfy the justice and holiness and righteousness of God, but at the same time save the people that he loves. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is who our God is. Because Jesus is God, we can be secure in our future, in in his power. Because Jesus is with us, we never have to be alone ever again. And because Jesus is here to save us, we can be rescued. In this story in Matthew, Mary and Joseph were the first people to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was these three things. And my question for you today is, have you come to terms with it? Where are you at with your thoughts of who Jesus is? Do you know that he's God? Do you know that he's with us? Do you know that he's here to save us? There's no middle ground here. Either you believe it or you don't. Either you believe that Jesus is who he says he is or you don't. But here's the thing and here's the heart of God for you. Don't miss this. Is that God wants you to experience what his power can do in your life. God wants you to never feel alone ever again. God wants you to be rescued. He wants you to know what it feels like to have your sins washed away. He wants to empower you and put his spirit inside of you so that you can do things that you've never thought possible so that you can, you can experience the joy and the love that comes from being in relationship with God that you were never able to experience aside from Jesus. And so today, my prayer for you is, have you come to terms with it? Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you've, really, you've just been kind of hearing a lot of this stuff and you've never made a decision to follow God, today can be your day. How cool would it be if Christmas 2021, you actually declared, be like, God, I've been coming here, I've been doing stuff, but I've never made it official that I believe that you are God, that you are here with me, and that you have come to save me. All you have to do is call out to him. It says in Romans, for those who call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so today, I want everyone just to to bow your head and to close your eyes, and maybe right now the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Maybe you feel like I'm speaking right to you. No, that's not me. That's actually God talking to you right now, because Jesus, he is here through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. So today, for anybody who is unsure of anything, you can mark your moment today.
All you have to do is just accept Jesus and his sacrifice for you. Invite him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. There is no magic formula or words to say. It's just a heart that is so dependent and giving everything over to Jesus. And so if that's you today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. And then after that, we're going to sing a song of celebration for who Jesus is and what he has come here to do. So if you would pray with me. Say, God, I believe that you are God. I believe that you're here with me. I believe that Jesus has come to save me. God, I, I pray that you would forgive me of my many sins. God, wash me, clean me. God, I know that you can because you're God and you love me. Lord, I pray that you would, you would heal me of my greatest disease of sin. And God, I pray that you would come into my life. I make you Lord of my life. Everything I do now is for you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's have everybody stand, please. And if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to find that connection card that you received in your bulletin and just check in the back saying, I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior because that is the most important thing you can do. If you do not get anything else from Christmas except the salvation gift from God, this will be your best Christmas ever. And so today also, let's be a people. If you have been changed by the message and the embodied presence of Jesus, let's not waste this opportunity. Let's invite our friends and our families and our neighbors to our Christmas services because guess what? We're going to tell the story again. This Thursday and Friday, we're going to tell the story again. And maybe, just maybe, God will speak to your friend. God will speak to your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your neighbor, your classmate, your coworker. And their life will be forever changed because of a simple invitation that you gave them. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing.